This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. So much has changed since we've recorded the last episode of the Charge podcast. The world is completely different, and it seems that it will be for a while. And when we do finally return to normal, normal will likely be far different from what we are used to. The way we work and live has been transformed, at least temporarily. Even this podcast is being produced remotely, so I hope you will bear with us if the sound quality is not as clear as usual. But whatever changes the coronavirus brings, I'm convinced that home will be more important than ever, and that the design business, which brings beauty, joy, and comfort to so many people, will come back stronger and more vital than before. But how do we make it through from now until then? I'm pleased to have three guests who see the big picture and can take the long view. They are full of ideas and practical advice for how firms, large and small, can survive the fallout of this crisis and how the design industry can work together to support each other through these unprecedented times. First, in Connecticut, I want to welcome Peter Salek, the CEO of Waterworks, who is also the founder of the Design Leadership Network, a membership organization of more than 450 architects, designers, landscape designers, and brands. Welcome, Peter. Hi, Michael. How are you? Good. I'm also pleased to have from Palm Beach, acclaimed designer Celery Kemble of Kemble Interiors, a firm she founded with her mother, that has offices in Palm Beach, New York, and London. Celery, thanks for being here, at least figuratively. Hi, it's nice talking to you. <laughs> Finally, from San Francisco, we have Anna Brockway, the co-founder of Cherish with her husband, Greg, who is already developing innovative solutions to help vendors, brands, and brick-and-mortar showrooms whose product launches and sales have been jeopardized by the cancellation of so many spring markets and events, including High Point, Salone de Mobile in Milan, and LCDQ in L.A. Welcome, Anna. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're here. Okay, Peter, I want to start with you because you are dealing, I know you're having almost daily calls with your members, 450 members. That's a lot of anxiety and uncertainty to be dealing with. So what have you been hearing from your members and what have you been telling them? Uh, thanks, Michael. First, I just want to say that I'm so happy to be on this call with four people who I've known for so many years and, and enjoyed working with for so many years. To me, that's representative of community right there. These calls that we're doing are one of the innovations that I think is relevant to understanding how the design community can evolve as we face a crisis like this and then elevate and advance our business into the future. So designers and architects, I've always believed, uh, operate very, very independently. And so having the chance to connect has been at the core of the DLN's mission. So what we're doing is effectively moving a segment of our programming from the offline world to the online world and giving our members a chance to connect on essentially video calls in groups of 10 where we have a moderated discussion of various topics. And so on these calls, uh, they really range incredibly from conversations about uh, outlook and emotion and feelings uh, really trying to harness a, a positivity and a connectedness and a look forward uh, to really nuts and bolts uh, considerations about what's happening in supply chains and the ability to get product, uh, comparing notes on what's happening at, at job sites, 
And, and of course, uh, very importantly for people really thinking through what this means to their teams and to the people they work most closely with within their firms and also the artisans and tradesmen and partners that they work with closely around their, their projects. So it's a time for really, as much as anything, comparing notes. And I think that alone is very important in addition to obviously the takeaways that people have individually from, from these uh, conversations. Right. And I want to ask you, Celery, because you are like a microcosm of what Peter's dealing with all of his members. I know you, because you have offices in Palm Beach and London and New York, you're used to a little bit working remotely. But how is it for you dealing with your team at this moment when I know everyone's freaked out, a lot of designers have to furlough some staff members, you know, or lay them off. People are concerned about projects continuing, new projects coming in. How are you dealing with your team? Do you have a daily phone call? How does it work? Well, things have changed enormously for me in the last two weeks. Mm -hmm. We sort of disbanded from our New York office at the point at which New York school children were told that they weren't going to be coming into school anymore for myself and for two of the other girls who had kids. And I said to my team that everybody at that point should go to where they felt safe or where they felt they could take care of their family. And what happened, which was sort of new to us, we've never had a group text where the whole office is on one thread. And it was very funny to see it come together almost the same way my children have with their class. (laughs) And it's like this ongoing dialogue, which has resulted in a different level of sort of compassion for each other's projects and a whole nother level of bodiness. I mean, (laughs) interspersed, (laughs) interspersed with practical questions about vendor closings and you know, whether something's going bankrupt or not, there are like repulsive and wonderful (laughs) photos we're sharing. So I think we're still in a moment where we're exploring different technology, but in a weird way, our communication has become a lot more immediate and intimate and there's less divisions between projects. We're in one chat and it's everybody's talking at once and it's kind of been fun. Right. I think communication is one of, and connection is more important than ever at these times. I mean, we're all isolated in our homes, but I think talking, I mean, I've been reaching out to people that I haven't talked to in a while. So have you reached out to all of your clients, all of your artisans, that kind of thing? Is that something that you're proactive about? We sent out um, notes individually to all of our clients saying that we hoped to encourage the progression of their projects in any ways we could, but that we were going to respect their feelings. So in terms of communicating with our vendors and clients, we sent an email to everybody saying, we want to proceed, but we'll respect the pace you set. Mm -hmm. And to help our vendors understand what work is coming, even if we don't have deposits right now, or if they aren't shipping, we're sending purchase orders. So they see, and we'll write on it, you know, this order will be confirmed upon your ability to ship please place this in your pipeline, know the work is coming. Because I think right now the uncertainty is just disabling and will, in some cases, push healthy businesses into a dark hole out of fear. So we're trying to let people know that we still have clients. We have deposit money coming in. We just don't know about timelines. Right, right. Because I think that fear and and freaking out is – 
the worst thing that we could do now, but of course it's basic human nature that the unknown is, is very disturbing and, and people can't see you have, have your, which, which are freaked out more? I, sh- I guess I should ask your clients or your vendors and artisans or both equally. Are we all freaked out? It seems to be by personality type. I have, yeah. I have some clients who are ready to batten down the hatches and go to their private island and, and let the world hit Armageddon. So we're not hearing much from them. Mm-hmm. And then I have others who are saying, you know, what can I do? How do I help? Should we front load this to give people work? It's, it's a really amazing sort of indication of how people choose to participate with the world. Right. I think this crisis is very revealing. And one of the things that impressed me about what Cherish is doing is you started out almost immediately, it seems, to create alternatives. The minute things started being canceled and we realized this was not going to be a two-week slowdown, that this was could be months, you came up with some interesting plans to help designers who didn't have High Point once High Point was canceled, you know, or LCDQ. So could you explain a little bit about what Cherish is doing and what kind of response you're seeing from your vendors and the designers that you sell so much product to? Yeah. So we identified, you know, almost immediately when we saw the cancellations happening or postponements and High Point's a big one, but also LCDQ, market weeks that happen all around the country at design centers. And then many of the really important for, especially for our vintage business, antique fairs. So Brimfield was canceled. Roundtop is canceled. I mean, all these things are not happening. So that's a huge impact to our selling community, as you can imagine, in the sense that people plan for long periods of time on collaborations to launch new lines at these events, or in the case of our vintage dealers have been sourcing well in advance, sometimes over the course of you know a whole year to uh, properly present at all these shows. And so that means there's a lot of people sitting on inventory and innovation that just didn't have a way to get seen in the traditional way. And so the notion of what we're trying to do, we're calling that um, a virtual preview, which is to provide a way specifically for the contemporary brands. And by that, I mean the non-vintage players to come and access our audience of interior designers and really present their product releases and everything that they had planned to present at all these shows and market weeks. Um, right, some of these products launches have been in the works for more than two years. And yeah. It's, and it's kind a of huge like the deal. Olympics of, de- of design, it, you know, suddenly it it's canceled. It is. And, and so much work goes into it. And for many people, it's essential for their business. And so the idea of that going away to Salary's point, it's really scary. So what we're doing is a virtual preview. And essentially what it is, is it's an online editorial series. We're inviting all kinds of brands, uh, some of whom we've worked with historically, some of whom this will be our first time working with them to come on and each host um, have their brand leader representative do a two to three minute webinar to present their line to designers, and then also to link to a product presentation on the site where people can actually go, you know, buy item and really explore the line. And so, so far we have, I think, 32 brands signed up. I'm happy to say Peter from Waterworks is the first person to join us. So thank you, Peter. I like Um, being the first one and all these kinds of things. (laughs) (laughs) We like having you as first. But it's been it's been a really great reception because of exactly what Celery described, which is there's a lot of uncertainty and the idea of providing an online way for people to connect and to communicate and to stay inspired and stay connected, I think, is what's needed right now. 
Hey, Michael, I'd love to add a couple comments on that. Of course. Um, and, you know, I think these are just a phenomenal effort that Cherish is undertaking to really help the community. I think that the DLN is uh, also looking to support its partners and members in a similar way by uh, creating a platform for uh, brands who to share information about uh, their what's happening in their companies directly with our members. Uh, this idea of finding new avenues of communicating and sharing information is actually, in some ways, it's daunting because we all have to sort of be willing to try things. But also, it's exciting to be able to find uh, new ways to, to connect across our community. And I think the digital approach to doing it ultimately will augment the offline ways that will come back. But I do think it's exciting to have more ways that will innovate as we work through this um, you know, short-term crisis here. Right. And in the interest of full transparency, I do want to point out to the listeners that I do work with the DLN as well as with Cherish, obviously, at the Cherish podcast. So I've been really impressed with how the DLN team has been reaching out to people and setting up these calls and inviting participation. But, you know, I do want to point out that they're not the only group that's doing that. There are other people. And I know designers who have their own casual groups that used to meet like monthly for cocktails or whatever and discuss, which one of the things I've always loved about the design community, but the design community has always been very supportive of each other. And, and it's always amazed me how designers will share information and resources and go to other designers to help with their problems. And I think this has amplified that. But there is a lot of fear out there and a lot of businesses are hurting. And in my career, several times I've had to lay people off which is like probably the worst thing you ever have to do. And I think companies are dealing with that now. I'm sure, Peter, you could speak to that from some of the calls. Do you guys have any sense of how long you think it's going to be before people calm down, people can get back to work? Is this, are we talking a two-month disruption, a four-month disruption? What do you think, Alan? So I think that what we're seeing in our business is just volatility. So we'll have really great days and then we'll have really not great days and it's bouncing up and down. And Does that bounce up and down according to the stock market? <laughs> oddly, no. Um, you, would th- you would think so. Every once in a while, I'm like, wow, that's a brave buy today. No, it's, um, it's, uh, it's volatile. And so I think that one of the things that we've thought about and I think this is what everyone's struggling with is trying to figure out like, how long is this going to last? Like how, what's the duration of this chasm we're crossing through and how do we prepare for that? And that I think for most people means really focusing on conserving resources so that you can go the distance here. So for us, in terms of what we're thinking, I mean, you know, worst case scenario could be until middle of Q4 until we start to see things turn around. And I think that's what you have to plan for and you have to hope that it'll get better. So that's how we're looking at it. Yeah. Celery, what about you? Have you, if you had to think about or make contingency plans, even I'm not obviously not naming names, but are there, you think, oh, I may have to reduce my team. I may have to put off doing certain things. Have you gotten to that point yet? Or are you still in just general freak out mode, which I'm kind of in? Well, we're, we're very regionally responsive. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing it as our, our company whole still has responsibilities in different states. We have projects in Florida, California, Connecticut, New York, and the work rules have been different for each. And 
we've only had a couple weeks to see this, but I'm imagining over the next year, there might be rolling work stoppages where perhaps New York and California right now are at a standstill, but it wasn't until just a day or two ago that North Carolina stopped shipping. Right. And I think Anna may be in a very interesting place to work with her vendors in different states to sort of highlight who can ship when. So I think people might be comfortable with a month of inaccessibility, but knowing you can buy something and we'll start learning that, hey, there may be six week lags, but as long as truckers are going and once a certain state opens, um, workflow can happen. We're not laying anyone off because our projects, thankfully, everything takes almost two years. Mm -hmm. So it will take us some time to hit a wall. (laughs) I'm hoping we don't. But I think everyone's expectations are are lowered and retracting. Right. But what I was going to say, Michael, is Mm -hmm. that um, I'm hearing on DLN community calls and generally counseling that people try to break this uh, down into short-term, medium-term, long-term strategies with the view that because there's so much uncertainty and because we don't know, rather than try to kind of come up with one sweeping uh, change in the way they think about their business or to think too short-term to try to create scenarios that reflect you know, what, what the next month or two months might look like and then you know, what it might look like down the road so that you're prepared for each stage of this. And then the only thing I would say as well is I'm personally focused on really trying to keep track of what I would call like the medical side of this, because ultimately until people feel safe, I think it's going to be very hard for kind of normal economic activity that drives our design community uh, to resume at the level that we might want. So in other words, you're saying that we all have to become a little bit of scientists in terms of listening to Dr. Fauci and all of that, because it's not until it really peaks and really goes down. Because even when the numbers go down, that doesn't mean people still aren't going to be getting sick or transmitting the virus. So you're saying take the longest view about in terms of when people are going to be comfortable about. Well, I'm saying I think for companies to come up with, like, for example, for, for the businesses I'm most associated to, we're saying, okay, here's a plan that we're putting in place for the next 60 days or 90 days, and then we'll reevaluate right. so that we're not too rash, but at the same time, we're demonstrating the appropriate right. level of right. concern about potential outcomes. Right. But we're trying to communicate with people that we, we don't know enough to make good decisions that are very long-term right. right now. Hi, everybody. It's Anna Brockway, and I'm taking a quick break out of the podcast to share with you news about two not-to-miss events happening on Cherish this April. In light of the cancellation of so many essential spring design events, Cherish is hosting two important new features. Firstly, on April 21st, we'll be showcasing the dealers of High Point and spotlighting the exceptional inventory and the beloved dealers who regularly show at High Point's Antique and Design Center and 214 Modern Collective. Many designers religiously shop these treasure trove venues. So through this feature, we hope you'll be able to connect with this important community online. Secondly, on April 28th, Cherish will be hosting our first virtual preview. This is essentially an online editorial series where leading brands and manufacturers from throughout the design industry will virtually present their spring 2020 collections on Cherish. Look for new news and inspiration from Waterworks, Schumacher, 
Kravit, The Lacquer Company, and more. We hope to see you on April 28th. And now back to our show. And and I think it's interesting. I, I do think there's going to be a huge amount of pent-up demand. Now, when that pent-up demand will be released, we can't say. But I, I personally know I'm dying to go to a restaurant. I'm dying to go to a museum. Um, I think we've um, all realized. I think we've all realized how important home is to us, and I do think that that's going to be very good for our industry because we're spending so much time in our homes. What works, what doesn't work, what we love about our homes, what doesn't, what we don't love so much about our homes. I think people are going to really you know, want to focus on their homes and improving their homes when they can, but we don't know when that's going to be. Which raises another issue, which I've been going through um, myself. You know, I'm up in my house in Connecticut every day I wake up. It's sadly been mostly gray the last few days. And I, you do feel like you're going through Groundhog Day, you know, yet another day. Is this, was it Tuesday or is it Friday? You're not even sure. So how do you motivate your team? Because I think this is going to be an issue for a lot of designers, and I'd love to hear from all of you on that. Maybe um, start with you, Celery, because you have the smallest team, so it's more personal in a way. But how do you get people to stay motivated and working and put the, you know, the fear aside? Well, we're a bit of a commission-based industry, mm-hmm. so that, that keeps motivation high. And that is meaning that we need to stay in communication with our clients and continue to excite them about what feels possible. So I think getting better at our presentation skills and finding uh, beautiful imagery, doing better drawings, there's an aspect to what we've lost touch with in our constant rush, because I think one of the hardest elements of our business is the stop-start. Everybody wants everything in a minute, and you lose what used to be the artistry of the design business, which was being able to communicate a completed vision and to articulate it artistically or technologically. And I think we're kind of excited now to go back to the roots of really taking time to do our sourcing and to present it. So in a way, we're getting to do what we love and we have to do it because if we don't remind people of what they can accomplish with their homes, you know, we have, we have their floor plans, we have pictures of empty spaces. There's almost a little more time to, to, be imaginative because we're not as responding right. to, and to fire. To so think about a vision as opposed to, I want this chair or that chair, what the yeah. room is going to be like, what the house is going to be like. But do you have, you know, you were saying you have that group email or chat thing. Do you do that every morning? How do you, how do you it's run constant. an office day today? I think I have, a, I have a bruise in my back pocket okay. <laughs> where my phone has been vibrating, but it's, it's fun to look at it right now. Mm-hmm. It, it, things don't feel quite as naggy. Everybody is either sharing something funny or there's a yeah a lot touching. of humor, a lot of memes and funny things going around, or a real problem to solve. Right, right. I like how people are putting things out with okay, uh, I can't eat tuna fish again, or right. <laughs> um, you know, everybody's sharing these little things and they're much more helpful to one another. Peter, how do you work with that in terms of not only DLN but even waterworks? Is that something that you have to think about or? You have your troops so well-trained that they just go right into fighting position. Well, what I would say is that um, years of planning have all gone out the window. And so this has been in a period of intense actual work uh, to really try to recast plans for every facet of uh, both the Waterworks and the DLN. And so there's no shortage of activity. Uh, what I'll, I'll say a couple things is I, you know, you all know me. I'm 
I believe this is when it's really critical for leaders to lead. And so, you know, for all of us on this call, for anyone listening who is, you know, running a design firm, uh, whether you're talking about your own employees or your partners around the community, this is where it counts to step up and really communicate effectively, frequently, and clearly, and really know what you want to say to people uh, so that you can both inspire them and reassure them, uh, but also be honest with them about the challenges. Yeah. So that's a big part of what I'm focused on. And then the other thing I would just say is that it's kind of interesting with, with Zoom and WebEx and all the tools that we're using right now. It's In some ways, we're paying more attention because if you go to a big meeting room, everyone's kind of looking around or You've got their phones out. out the window, whatever it might be. When we're all on these calls, looking each other in the eye in this grid, we're actually, I think, in some ways more attentive than we ever are otherwise. And so I found this uh, tool, you know, super important and, and really valuable and kind of a great way to sort of talk to people maybe even more directly than, than we might in other situations uh, outside of this context. Yeah. And I think it's interesting what you said, I think it's so true about being direct and honest. I mean, I think that's the reason that so many people who live in other states are looking to Governor Cuomo in New York because he's so he doesn't sugarcoat. And I think it's important at this time, which is difficult for many design firms. I'm sure there are people furloughing. I know there are firms who are furloughing people or laying them off. And, you know, you cannot pretend that something different is happening when, you know, I've, I've found that in those cases in the past where I've had to lay people off, if you are just very honest and direct, even if you're laying them off because they're doing a crappy job, which, you know, does happen as well. If you're honest about that, I think it always goes so much better and people respect you much more and everybody else on the team who's not been laid off will respect you more. I mean, leadership is so crucial at this time. It's it's not an easy thing for a lot of people to do. And a lot of people went into design never thinking they'd have to be a leader per se. They wanted to be creative. They wanted to do beautiful rooms, create beautiful buildings. But, you know, you manage a team, you have to be a leader. And this is when, you know, as you were saying, people reveal themselves. So, yeah. Anna, I'd, I'd love to know what you are doing in terms of Cherish, because, you know, you guys are so much more high-tech than I certainly am, and I think a lot of people are. But, yet, you know, it's a great office there, and people aren't going into the office now. How do you keep them motivated and informed? Um, well, on the motivation side, you know, we support 10,000 sellers. Mm -hmm. And so hearing from them over the past three weeks that we're sort of it mm -hmm. and you know by default we are there kind of. i mean the only place to sell things right now is online uh, yeah and the only place to buy things right now is online and i think the team many of whom spend a lot of time with our selling and buying communities including myself recognize that that's a big responsibility and what our role is in helping small businesses make it and survive as much as they can through online sales and also helping to keep designers and um, all of our buyers inspired and, and engaged. So I think it's actually sort of a sobering reality for our team that there's a real responsibility that comes with us in terms of who we support as a community. And then in terms of just the, the operational side of staying in touch, um, you know, we've been operating virtually for a really long time. We have people all over the country, an office in New York, an office in San Francisco, 
so a lot of these tools and um, ways of communicating are things that we're used to. That said, one change that's happened is it felt like um, everyone sort of started working in Zoom and conference calls sort of within their teams. And the idea of getting everybody together in larger groups has been more challenging. And we actually had an opportunity to do that. I brought the whole marketing and PR team together yesterday. And it was like, people were so happy to see each other, <laughs> you know, and not, and not just hear a voice and not just get an email, right. not just get a message on Slack, but really to like actually visually connect with people was really important. So I think one of the requests was, how can we do that more? The other thing I would say that's been really interesting just from a community standpoint is our engagement and traffic on our social channels is bananas right now. Yeah, And we're also seeing a really big increase in the amount of traffic we're getting on mobile to the site. And so one of the things I think that's happening is just people increasingly looking for connection and looking for inspiration and just spending a ton of time on their phones. Um, And so that's been a really interesting thing to observe as well. Yeah, I think social media has really become a, a kind of community organizer in a way. You have your group of friends that you follow and it's another way of letting people know I'm here, I'm healthy or whatever, or whatever they're, or if they're not so healthy, we'll have what they're going through. And I think that the design, and you know, it's been, it had a huge impact on the design industry to begin with. That was our previous Cherish podcast was on how do you yeah. use social media because it's such a huge tool. But I think now it's, really a connecting social thing, you know, the social side of social media is coming through as opposed to the professional side of it. Yeah, it's funny. I've always had kind of a long-armed relationship with social media and that you love it, but you also sort of hated it. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, I feel like I'd be so lonely without it because it is helping you connect with people and um, it keeps you going. So I think connection is key. Yeah. I have to say thank you to Cherish because so is shopping. Uh, the, the, you know, we're all tired of looking in our own pantries. So to have the, the sort of world of product and vintage pieces and color and other people's ideas, I, I think that I have always loved a flea market more than anything else because you have no idea how much you're going to encounter. And I feel like as I'm looking at Cherish and shopping for my clients, I'm reminded that we actually have much more access sitting at my little desk with the doors barricaded against my children, I can go into thousands of stores. And 20 years ago, you know, that didn't exist. I could only, you know, shop my New York dealers or make a trip once every four months to go, you know, to Europe. Now it's all right here. So in a way we have more and it's just interesting to be given the opportunity to use our resources this way. Yeah. Thank you. One of the great things that has been um, interesting for our business in the past month has been our listings are through the roof. So we've never had more people selling with us, which is fantastic because to Celery's point, it just brings more choices and surprises onto the site. But also because of the diversity of the range of sellers that we have and their geographic location, we're always shipping. We can always roll a truck. And we've been able to, you know, keep keep business going, which is, I think, great and speaks to kind of the power of marketplaces and bringing lots of people from lots of different places together. Right. Maybe I could comment on the other side of that equation, which might provide sort of a um, 
the balancing side of that, which is that this is also a time when personal relationships matter enormously. Yeah. And uh, when I think about the world that I live in, if you didn't know your clients before, you're, not, you're probably not going to get to know them well now. And so it highlights this idea that we are a community in which these personal relationships matter a lot. And, uh, and this is a time when the conversations that take place, I think, can become even more powerful if you've uh, really handled them well over time and they reflect you know, the best of what uh, you try to bring to each conversation, you know, not just in the crisis, but over many, many, many years. Right. And I think that's something that's we need to look at too is and firms should be looking at it because, you know, I know I get daily emails from, you know, companies big and small, fabric companies, designers. But the question is, how much of that communication is really valuable? Oh, to, you know, I'm still here. You know, is that something that everybody needs to hear? Or how can you make it more pertinent and and powerful when you're reaching out to somebody? Because, you know, it's it doesn't necessarily help me to know that the Asia week that happens in New York has been postponed. I mean, I, well, I'm not a collector of Asian art, I'm, but I'm on these mailing lists for different reasons. But do you know what I mean? I mean, we're all getting almost daily updates from companies. And is that beneficial or is that annoying? Who wants to weigh in on that? Mm-hmm. I hate to say something negative, but I have to say I'm drowning yeah, in, that's... in senseless, repetitive reach outs. But that's sort of how I feel. So thank you for backing me up, Celery, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be negative, but I, I think people need to think better about how they're communicating. I think what you were saying, Peter, is that this is a business of personal relationships. So strengthen those. And yes, you have to let your clients and the world know that you're here, but I don't think you have to repeat that every day during a long-term shutdown, slowdown like this, you know. But how do, how do you make your communications really help? I mean, and I think it's really important that we, you know, it's everybody from your haircutter to, or your colorist or, you know, your cleaning lady to keep in touch with these people and make sure that they're okay. And, you know, whether you're paying them or not, just know that you really want to reconnect with when things are safer again. But how, how do you do it in an important way? Celery? I really appreciate it when I have a communication that comes from somebody I know. So when it is my salesperson who... I trust that they know my business, they know my needs, and I want to hear that they're okay. I'm a little bit fatigued at receiving corporate emails because I don't need to be reminded of somebody's address, Mm -hmm. you know, which is essentially what is being thrown at me by my mailbox. So that speaks to the importance of the personal relationship with salespeople. And maybe some of the companies will understand that even if the showrooms are closed, that they need their employees because their employees hold the relationships. Right. Um, I have a totally different response when it comes from somebody. Right. That you've dealt with personally and you, yes, I, I would agree. And Peter, what about waterworks? Is that something that, you know, you have the people who your salespeople reach out directly to their clients as opposed to a, you know, corporate email saying, Oh, waterworks still exists. We're here. Yeah, I, I think there's a little bit of the corporate stuff that is required because yeah. you know, companies have giant audiences or large audiences that it's hard to imagine getting to every single person that you might right. do business with. No, I but agree. And I, okay. But right. I think the more important thing by far are these relationships that I you know, was referring to. And exactly what Celery is saying is, is the key is um, 
you know, to check in and just make sure you're acknowledging that this is a time when we want to make sure everybody's safe and also see what you can do to help. Like one of the things that's been surprising to me on DLN community calls is the level of concern that designers are sharing about the availability of product to support mm-hmm. uh, ongoing projects. And it's really quite variable what companies can and can't do right now, uh, depending on what is happening in their supply chains and in with respect to you know, national and international and even yeah. local rules. Yeah, I have friends who have a rug company and most of their stuff is made in China or India and that's all shut down. So we've had incredible conversations simply about going line by line through every client's projects, quotes and orders, and really trying to make sure that uh, we know the status of every line and we can share that with every client so they can be reassured and or updated uh, on what's happening depending on what's, what's happening uh, out there in the world. So it's not about selling. It's about making sure people really have the information they need and that there's a sense that we really care. Right, right. And Anna, I think that's what, one of the most important things that what you're doing, you know, and I know the online preview thing is, but it's really showing that you care. And I think that that is such a crucial thing and is what's going to get us all together through these difficult times. Because, you know, even if you have to put something on hold, doesn't mean you're not caring about it. And you can let people into that sensibility that you were really here for them. You're doing anything you can, but there are certain things you can't do. You have to, you, obviously, we can't lie about this kind of situation and we can't be unrealistic. But I think showing that you care is going to make the difference. So how does, how does Cherish do that in terms of the, the, your frequent vendors? Have you had people reach out to them as well or do you uh, hear yeah. from them? Yeah, of course. So one group of vendors... I hate using the word vendors, but right. um, th- these happen to be um, antique dealers and vintage dealers who uh, regularly show at High Point right. um, in the Antique and Design Center there, and then also at 214 Modern, which is a collective. Right. Um, we've just had all those guys sell with us. It's a great relationship. It's been established to Peter's and Celery's point about quality of relationships. We know each other. You know, We do a lot to support them. They've done a lot to support us. And when this was canceled, it was like a big deal. And so we're going to be doing a special feature just on the dealers of High Point. And, you know, I know Celery, we've done stuff down there together as well. It's, it's, a, it's a venue that designers love to come to, to source and find beautiful things. And so by doing features and stories and um, creating opportunities to kind of shine a spotlight on certain communities and help them to connect with buyers, I think is a really important way to help keep this business going while we can't meet in real life. Um, and we do care. I mean, right. this is this is how we've built the business is by supporting small sellers and connecting them to taste-making buyers. And so, of course, we care. Right, right. And one of the things I would like to get back to was, you know, now that so much of stuff is online by necessity for the moment, is that going to have a detrimental impact on brick and mortar? How do we prevent that from happening from showrooms? Are designers going to get out of the habit of going to showrooms? I mean, Macy's just laid off a huge number of people. Are people going, you know, like you were saying, every, everything's bought now online. But how do we get this industry so that once we get back to whatever the new normal is, we can sustain brick and mortar showrooms and antique dealers and all of that. I mean, is that something we need to think about? I think that 
one thing we're learning from this is personal connection and in real life stuff is still really important. And I think mm-hmm. we're all homesick for it. And I think right. you've heard that from everybody today. Right. And certainly I hear it in talking with people. So I don't think we see, and I don't think we've ever seen online as a way of fully replacing right. brick and mortar. Right. And I, I like to use examples from the fashion industry, which is where my background is. And I, I think the home industry generally tends to, to follow suit. But right now within the home space, the amount of business that's done online, about 15% of all purchases in the home furnishings industry are done online. And you look at fashion, which I consider to be much more developed mm-hmm. in terms of online and was one of the first categories to really move there. I could have this wrong. I think it's closer to 40 or 50%, mm-hmm. which means still more than around half or more is still right. happening offline. Right. So when you think about that, I mean, first off, it shows tremendous runway and opportunities still in the online space for the home mm-hmm. industry. But it also shows that I think there's this false sense that it's an either or choice. And I think the answer is yes. Um, And I think we'll find that that's particularly meaningful for people after we have gone through this period of isolation from each other in the physical world. And Peter, Waterworks is not thinking of doing any fewer showrooms or closing any showrooms or anything like that, are you? No, to answer your question, Michael, the way I look at it is that designers were already changing their behaviors and shopping showrooms less before the crisis. And I think that that will continue to evolve as Anna's suggesting that this is a long-term change that's taking place. And so I think what this becomes is an opportunity for all kinds of brands to rethink their physical presence. And the the onus is on companies to actually make their showrooms worth visiting. So it's not saying like, the answer isn't to say, well, everything's going to move online or that uh, things will stay the same. The answer is it's all evolving. And so it's incumbent upon companies, leaders and companies to really understand you know, what they can do to one, enhance their online presence, but secondly, to really enhance their showroom experience. You know, one of the things that's probably at the highest level of my concern right now as a business leader is that. Um, we have a, our biggest investment ever is in our 58th Street location that is in construction as we speak. And now, of course, is a job site shut down in New York City. Well, I'm so excited about the opportunity to present a reimagined experience for our clients in, this, in the offline space. Yet at the same time, we're racing ahead even every day right now to just continue to release new versions of our digital experience. So I think that's what the world looks like. And uh, you're seeing it take take shape every day. I think it's all good. Okay. Celery, how about you and your team? Because I know certain designers, even way before the coronavirus impacted our lives, were complaining that they couldn't get their younger staff to go to showrooms, that everything was online. Do you think that your team is looking forward to going back to showrooms? Well, I think that certain showrooms knock it out of the park. They make the experience of being there a learning experience. And they make it inspiring. And I think Waterworks does a fantastic job of that because you can look at many different variations on beautiful green subway tile and it's not exciting because eventually you're, you're minted out, but you go into the Waterworks showroom and you see the difference between the crackle glaze, the matte finish, when you put the tiles up vertically, when you change the running bond and Photographs in a computer are never going to make you feel the difference. And our design business is all about the subtleties of 
sight and perception. And those can only be judged in person. And I'm so grateful when it's well displayed because it allows me also to take my clients to see it. And there is a reason they're spending additional money and shopping from specialized craftspeople. So I think showrooms are absolutely essential. And so is High Point because sometimes it's the only place you get to see a full line of product because real estate is so expensive. You can't put 45 sofas and all the lighting and console tables and coffee tables and chairs out together. So it's, it's important that we have the um, ability to target the information when and where we need it as designers. But I also had a comment speaking to Anna's idea that we follow the fashion business. I have um, quite a few friends in the fashion business and when they sell clothing online, the return rates I hear are upwards or around 50% with clothing because people, things are in multiples, there's, right? And in our business, we don't have that option because shipping is too expensive and breakage is too high. So I think there will always be a, um, a reliance, one, on getting it right by seeing it in person because you can't shop quite the same way online, except in the vintage market. When something is one of a kind, you do have to take your chance on it. Right. And that's part of the thrill. So uh, there's this, you know, there, there f- seems to be a place for every point of sale. But I, I, I really appreciate the people who are showing things well. And both Cherish and Waterworks rock mm-hmm. at that. No, and they're very complimentary of each other. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the way design is going. And even the showrooms long before this were saying their foot traffic may have been down. But when designers came in, they were much more informed because they had researched and seen things online and and whatever. So, I mean, they're definitely mutually beneficial and both are necessary, but it's just interesting how the proportion is going to go. And I do think that, you know, I'm looking to go out and, you know, touch some tiles and, Mm -hmm. you know, I just want to feel things, you know, sit in things, feel things, go to the theater. You know, I think we all appreciate that even more now that we've been deprived of it. And I think actually the showrooms maybe will undergo a little bit of research and a foot foot traffic in a way. So I'd like to, you know, I I can't thank you guys enough for all of this. I wanted to ask just in one last thing, like what would be your best piece of advice to a small design firm at this very moment that is dealing with all the disruption and the scary knowledge that they don't, scary lack of knowledge that they don't know what's going to happen. What would be the most important thing that you could say to a firm, a designer, a boss at this very moment? Why don't we start with you, Peter? He's putting me in the hot seat first, yes, Michael. I am. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a lot of things going through my mind right now, but I, I think that at the end of the day, we all have to focus on this idea that we will get through this. Yeah. And so it's challenging and it's forcing us to do things differently than we've done before and to really look hard at our businesses and our partners, our employees, everything that is going on around us to make sure we really have a handle on it. But at the end of the day, we will get through this. And that's really you know, kind of what keeps me motivated and keeps me focused. It's really this idea that you know, we've, we've had experiences in the past that have been challenging and we've gotten through those. And we will continue to that. And, and my view is that the design industry was at its highest point in a very long time uh, just before this crisis in terms of activity and excitement and innovation. And I think that this uh, reset here will uh, get people to like look hard at what's really working and then elevate those parts 
And in the end, we'll be at a further heightened uh, place as we recover and really have a chance to put our best foot forward again in the future. Great. Anna, what would you say? I think it's about getting innovative. So one of the things that often happens at times of historic disruption like this is it forces, it's a force function to get people to try things and approaches and ways of working and ways of selling, ways of buying that they haven't traditionally done. And so I think that in many ways, a lot of innovation comes out of trying circumstances like this because there is no other option. And so that's my piece of advice is not to hold to some of your, you know, be willing to break some rules and try try some new approaches. Yeah, just try it. That's one of our things we say at Cherish is let's try it. And I think that it's really important right now. Great. Ms. Celery, how about you? I'm very close to what Anna's saying. I think our business is about imagination and communicating that imagination. So even in a time where we may not have a concrete follow through, I think we should be communicating to our clients what we would like for them and hearing what they would like from us and laying the groundwork and getting that done. And maybe to help support each other in the industry, see if we can get, you know, basic orders ready to go. I I would love to see people working out a, maybe a new system, which is a tentative order or take the measurements you can, get the estimates for the fabric quantities you're going to need, communicate with your clients and say, you know, how how likely are we to be doing this as soon as it's ready? And then pass that information along to your vendors so they can manage their timeline. Then it will help um, maybe stop a real lag due to inertia and then a painful surge when nobody can handle the work. And it'll let people realize that if they don't continue their work, they're going to get stuck in a terrible line. Right. Some of the people who have the ability financially to commit to work now should realize they should, or they're not going to see their homes finished till next Easter. Right. Um, right. And that, that would also create, you know, confidence. Right. Because there is going to be pent up demand. I, I totally agree with you. Well, I guess what I'm, what I'm hearing is that designers need to think big, think differently, and keep moving ahead. Keep in touch with everybody that you deal with, whether it's a a client, an artisan, a vendor. And as Peter said, know that we're going to get through this and keep moving ahead um, as best as you can. And I think we all have to laugh a little in the process. <laughs> you know, home is going to be more important than ever. It has proven itself to be more important than ever already. And people are going to love their homes way more and appreciate them way more. I'm going to want to invest in them. And then we just have to be ready for that moment because I think the value of home and beautiful design has become really more evident than it ever was in the past. I want to thank my wonderful guests, Anna Brockway, Celery Kemble, and Peter Salik, and keep listening to the Cherish Podcast. Thank you all so much. Thanks for listening to the Cherish Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague, or even better, go to the iTunes store and post a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and edited by Max Solomon of Hanger Studios in New York. Until next time.